Welcome to the Slip with Brandon Bear. Welcome to the Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And I am the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. Welcome, y'all. We have a lot to get into today. We're going to get into a little bit of Falcons talk. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the needs that the Falcons have. Um, with that, um, I'm going to get into two of my mock drafts, the 1.0 and the 2.0. Um, and we're also going to get into a little bit of Braves talk. Um, I'm going to give you some updates and some updated thoughts about what's going on in spring training and some of my thoughts about uh, what I saw in the spring training game against the Red Sox today. And then finally, I'm going to give you a little bit of my final thoughts about um, something that's been going on around the world and how it is affecting the sports world. But first, let me tell you what I'm slipping on. You don't want to piss them off. Here is what you're slipping on. Well, my people, this week I'm not slipping on a person. I'm not slipping on a team. Uh, I'm not even slipping on a commissioner or a sports sports league. I'm I'm just slipping on something that is um, something that happens throughout all competitions, no matter what sport it is, and that unfortunately um, this week is I'm slipping on injuries. I just hate injuries, and Atlanta United's uh, star striker. Uh, former MLS MVP Joseph Martinez has torn his ACL in the first MLS regular season match um, when Atlanta United played Nashville in about the 67th minute. He tried to go on, um, but after it seemed like when he tried to actually turn um, and move upfield, which is the exact thing that hurts the ACL or that ACL hurts. It's not your ability to go in a straight line, but when you actually try to turn, um, that's when he fell back to the ground. And um, at that point, uh, I knew something was serious. Um, I have not personally experienced an ACL tear, but just with the frequency of it that you see in sports and the situation that happened um, for him to injure himself um, led me to believe from the very beginning that unfortunately he had torn his ACL and I it it's not just a big bummer for Atlanta United but it's a big bummer for the MLS um, when you lose a player like Joseph Martinez a person that draws so many ratings, a person that can honestly score anytime he touches the ball. It's a big hit for not just the team, but the league. And as the MLS is trying to grow and trying to show that it can be one of the upper leagues in the world, you know, something like that is just a big blow. And, you know, with an ACL injury, it's it's foolish to think that he wouldn't be out for the rest of the season. Um, use the ACL tears are about a six-month recovery time. Um, and six months after the time he injured it would be um, around late October. Um, you know, like early November. And, I mean, what, what is the point of trying to rush him back? Um, this guy is too valuable to the team and to the league for um, him to try to be rushed back for what would be essentially a a, a playoffs final game. Um, you know, it, it's it's not like it's anything worth it. Um, who knows what kind of freaking nature he is? I mean, you've seen so many times where people have come back um, from certain injuries way ahead of time, but I just don't see the the point in rushing him back. Um, he's he's just too good of a player to try to risk his future. 
but that definitely leaves Atlanta United in a big hole. Um, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to bring a striker in. And that's what they did do. They got a UCL player, which is essentially like the minor leagues of the MLS. Um, they got J.J. Williams, a 6-3 forward. Um, that was, I think, the number five pick in the MLS Super Draft in 2019. Um he was playing on a Columbus crew, but then got picked up by Birmingham Legion, which is in the USL. And then um, Atlanta United was fortunate enough to, you know, pick up this guy. I don't see him as a guy that's going to come in and be a starter. Um, I don't think he'll supplant Adam John, um, who I think is the guy who's going to be the starter until Rosetto gets um his footing under um but i i like the move um for what it's worth um you know you can give this guy a chance and training see if he has anything and what i like most about this is that with adam john and with jj williams you have two big bodies um for fords and i think that can take a lot of pressure off of um ezekiel barco and pitty um, you, you can see in some of the, um, CONCACAF matches that the Atlanta United has already played that when Adam John comes on and he has come on for Joseph Martinez, um, in certain spots that he was a guy who could put a little more pressure on those center backs for other teams. Um, a guy that can be that big body and win those challenges, those aerial challenges, and I, I think that's a, that's big. And if J.J. Williams can come in and do that for 20 to 25 minutes a game until, you know, they figure out if um, Atlanta United's going to bring in another uh, striker um, or something like that, or if um, DeBoer finds another, another formation that works with the players that he has, uh, you know, I, I think it's decent. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's just the depth that we need um, with all the players that went out um, on transfers, such as a Vialba, such as a Brandon Vasquez, um, who went to uh, FC Cincinnati on a trade. Um, you know, we, we need some bodies at that striker position. Um, so, you know, we'll see what he does. Um, but... I think the big part is that you there's no way to replace a Joseph Martinez, and it would be foolish to try to do something like that, try to bring in a big name or bring in somebody who you think can fill his shoes. There's nobody that can fill his shoes. This is a guy that broke the season um, single-season goals record before it was broken by Carlos Vela. But, I mean, when you if you think about Joseph Martinez last year with his slow start, he was going to be on pace to break his own record. And, beat, and he only um, was behind Vega by, by, I think, two or three. So, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to replace someone like that. Um, so I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what the board does with the pieces he has. And it's the, the positive thing about this is that Although you're missing an MLS MVP like Joseph Martinez, there are other options on the this Atlanta United team that can score goals. I mean, you saw Pitti Martinez score two goals in the CONCACAF League. Um, you saw Barco, uh, while playing against Nashville SC, uh, have a great move and a great strike on goal um, that put Atlanta United ahead in, in that first half. And with those two options, um, you know, those are the people that you're going to be going to ball through. And I think they are definitely talented enough. And if they want to show that they are the people or the type of soccer player that can be picked up by an international team that's in Europe, which they have specifically said is their goal, then this is their chance to show that. 
Um, this is um, this is a big opportunity for them to show what they can actually do when they are not the main scoring option for this Atlanta United team. Um, so it you know it makes me wonder what is Frank DeBoer going to do? Um, is he going to do something like? Uh, put Barco Pitti and Rosetta, um, who was one of the transfer who was not here for SC, um, for I mean Nashville SC uh, due to visa issues, but he has gotten his visa, and once he gets his legs, who we'll see what he's going to be able to do because in the preseason match against uh, Birmingham Legion, he scored a goal and he looked good on the ball. He looked like he was a winger that you'd like to have playing. And with Joseph Martinez down, I wonder what that would look like with Ezekiel Barco, P.T. Martinez, and Rosetto um, all playing forwards, but in a false nine kind of way. Um, Because when you think about how Joseph Martinez has been playing and how a couple of their goals have been scored, whether it's in the preseason or in the CONCACAF, or in this, um, or in the FC, or the uh, Nashville FC game, that Joseph Martinez had been dropping deeper towards the midfield. And when he was able to do that, he got a lot of good things going. Um, in that first CONCACAF Champions League game against Montangua, um, the Argentine not the Argentinian, the Hungarian team, or Honduras team, excuse me. Um, it was a nice play between Joseph Martinez and Pitti Martinez uh, that were back and forth, a nice one-two that scored that goal. It was a beautiful goal. Um, and that's something that I think that Barco, uh, Rosetto, and Pitti Martinez can do. Of course, it's not going to be um, what Joseph Martinez is going to be able to bring. But I do believe that with those people, with those three players um, that look really good on the ball and have pretty decent speed, I think Atlanta United still has a chance to salvage this season. Um, and a little bit of slipping in with everybody and their mama being able to make the playoffs in the MLS, you know, Atlanta United still has a good chance to make a run. And you saw what happened with Toronto last year. You saw what happened with Seattle. Those were two injury-plagued teams that end up making it to the finals. And, you know, an injury-plagued team ended up winning the MLS Cup. So as unfortunate as it is that Joseph Martinez is going to be out for the year with that ACL tear, um... I still think that Atlanta United is going to be a team um, that's going to be exciting. They're going to be a team that's going to be competitive. And they're still a team that can fight for a championship this year. This is The Slip with Brandon Baird. So let's get into the Falcons. The draft is fast approaching on April 23rd through April 25th. Free agency is going to start soon as well. I think within the week is the last uh, is the deadline for teams to be able to franchise tag a player, um, which of course the Atlanta Falcons will not be doing. Um, but then soon after that, I think um, will be the times for the open tampering period where teams. And players are able to engage in discussions. However, um, there's no one that can be signed. And then a couple days after the legal tampering period is when um, free agency starts. Um, So the Falcons will have about a month before the draft to really get a good set of players um, in free agency um, so that they have a better idea of what 
they can focus on in a draft, what their needs are going to be in a draft, um, dependent on when they're what what they get in free agency. And the thing is, I, I've heard a lot of things in free agency. I've heard a lot of hopefuls in free agency, um, but. Let's just start with what the Falcons' needs are, okay? I see going into the free agency and draft, the needs are defensive linemen. I think that's our utmost priority, um, whether that's an edge rusher, a defensive tackle, or a D-end um, that can play like a five technique, which is a guy... Um, that can't that is typically rushing the passer and can play to run pretty well um, on that outside that lines up um, slightly over the um, outside shoulder of the tackle. Um, they they need all of those, um, and I don't think this is any surprise. Uh, linebacker is another need of the Falcons as I think the Falcons only have two linebackers currently signed on their roster which is uh, Deion Jones the starting middle linebacker and Foye Oluokan which is the outside linebacker um, who has started some games um, struggles in coverage um, plays the run all right Um, but you know is this guy going to be a starter? I think I, I'm not sure about that. If, if he has to start, you know, they'll do it. But I'm not sure if fans or I'm not sure if I'm going to be happy if the Falcons go into the season thinking that they're he's going to be their starting outside linebacker and there's not going to be any competition for that. There definitely needs to be competition. Another need for the Falcons is left guard. Um, although Carpenter and Jamon Brown are still signed on the team, you can tell at the end of last season that they were bums. And how much should we really expect from them? It's not like we're going to get too much out of them at this point. We aren't going to be able to cut them because it's just too much um, dead cap that it just wouldn't make sense. Best case scenario for those two is that they play fairly well in the preseason and some other teams trade for them. Um, And honestly, if the Falcons get um, Mr. Um, Well, what's that guy's name? The last player in the draft. If they even get that guy for one of those bums, I'd be happy. Just get them off the team. Get their money off the books. And it's not like trading them would even save us too much money because they guaranteed so much money and the way that the deal was structured doesn't seem like it's going to be in the Falcons' favor. But just get them off the damn team. I don't want to see them. I don't want them starting. Um, And then I'm hoping that, um, that the other guy that they were kind of playing at guard um i can't remember his name maybe he can possibly step up and play um guard but that is definitely a need i hope they don't go out in free agency and get them i think that position is best be addressed in the in the draft um and then i think the falcons need a wide receiver um yes they have calvin ridley yes they have julio jones yes they have Russell Gage, who, you know, I'm not too high on, but he, he's okay. Um, you know, he's not going to be one of the top slot receivers in the league, but he'll get the job done. Um, but I think what the Falcons need is a, another guy that can actually stretch the field, a guy that can run a sub-4-3-40 um, and just blow past people, someone like a Marvin Hall. Um, Marvin Hall was good for at least two long catches every single season. And what he does is that in those times when Julio Jones comes off the field and needs, uh, um, you know, a couple plays off for something, 
then you still have someone that can actually stretch the defense and give some of that underneath some room. Um, and that's something that the Falcons just didn't have last season. So I'm hoping that they can get a nice, speedy wide receiver, whether that be in free agency or the draft. Um, and then there's a couple needs um, for the Falcons um, that is just dependent on what happens. Um, first is running back. I think that if Devontae Freeman does get cut um, and they save that, I think, three and a half, around three and a half million in cap space, then the Falcons are definitely going to need a running back. Um, I just don't have faith in Brian Hill um, or the other back that they have. Edo Smith is often um, injured, and I'm just not sure that going into the season you want that core three that's there right now um, besides Devontae Freeman. Um, I don't think you want that core. I don't feel good about them. And as the Falcons keep saying what they're going to do, which I absolutely hate, of trying to establish the run with that antiquated notion that you just got to keep powering people down, even though the Falcons don't have the pieces to actually do something like that, um, then they're definitely going to need another running back. Um, and then lastly, there's safety. Um, safety could be a need. Um you know, we don't know how Keanu Neal is going to respond after um, recovering from his Achilles injury. Um, we really do need a strong safety because Ricardo Allen played fairly well when he was put in that spot. Um, I do think that DeMonte Casey is the better free safety. Um just because of his playmaking ability, not to say that Ricardo Allen isn't a good free safety. I think that when Ricardo Allen has been playing free safety, that it has really limited those big plays that the Falcons give up. Because um, you really don't see those over-the-top plays that the Falcons um, have given up in the past when um, Ricardo Allen has been playing free safety. The biggest plays that the Falcons have given up is because of poor tackling, and someone just running all the way from through the middle and juking everybody out and breaking tackles, which is absolutely un, um, not acceptable. But, you know, I think free safety isn't exactly um, a need, but definitely a strong safety. Someone who can hopefully be a big hitter, can cover the running backs and cover the tight ends. That's something that Keanu Neal has done tremendously when he's been healthy. I mean, you look at those games when uh, they've played the Saints. In those games when Keanu Neal has not been there, the Falcons have struggled to cover um, their running backs and tight ends. And Keanu Neal was a big part of that. Hell, Keanu Neal took him out one game. Um, whatever that bum's name is out of Tennessee that plays for the Aints. So, you know, those are the, the possible maybes. Um that the Falcons need at this point at, at, you know, in safety and running back. But, you know, when I'm thinking about what they need in free agency, uh, what I would like to see is them to actually stock up a little bit on those defensive linemen. I think that um, a successful free agency is not going out and getting a Devontae or Dante Fowler. Um, I think that's one of the, the foolish things that the Falcons have done in the past is thinking that they can just go out and get one edge rusher in one big play or you know top defensive end and thinking that that's gonna make the whole line better it just hasn't we've seen that over and over and the Falcons have attempted to do that same strategy over and over again but the Falcons continue to have that mediocre line when you think about the best Falcons line that they had um, was actually in 2017 when you had people like Don Terry Poe, you had Crawford, you had Beasley, and you had Tack McKinley who was just playing third downs. You had Adrian Claiborne who was playing fairly well. Those are those collections. Of course, Grady Jarrett, excuse me. But when you had those collections of people that were playing 
um, as a unit, that's when the Falcons' defensive lineman was at its at its best. And that's what the Falcons need. They need to get pieces to fill in so that rather than thinking that one person is just going to boost the unit, that they need all of these um, they need all of these players to try to get them in a good situation so that they can be a good pass rushing team rather than thinking that you can just have one decent pass rusher and thinking that's going to boost the defense as a whole because it's not. So I think that if they are able to get a D tackle on the edge and another defensive end, that's not a primary um, pass rusher. I think you can go into the draft um, with a little more flexibility and a little more ease to building a team that can be successful in the 2020 season. Because you look at what they did last season, they didn't really bring anybody in. They they used all their money on two bum guards that that, that just wasn't worth it. Um, so when you, you think about that, you get that collection of people in free agency. That way, after the draft, you aren't one injury away from being like, we have no depth at all. And that's exactly what happened last season. When Steven Means went down with that Achilles injury early in minicamp, or was it like the first or second day of, of training camp, then... You know, it was just like, well, there goes our depth. There goes, you know, a lot of what we expected. And and that, if you are one injury away from losing all of your depth, then you don't have depth. Then you have not properly built a team to succeed in 2020. Um, now, whether TD and Dan Quinn are able to do that, I'm not sure. Once again, I've told you this two weeks ago. I don't have a lot of faith in them. I don't, I, I just, I've seen it over and over again that why should I have faith in them actually reasonably and tactfully building up a team that is going to be successful um, and not just depending on one big signing. With that said, if they're able to get those things, in free agency, that makes the draft a lot easier. And so, in my first mock draft, of course, we have six picks. Um, one first-round pick, two third-round picks, a third, fourth, fifth, and a seventh. We don't have a six-round pick. Um, I think we um, used the six-round pick for um, a safety, possibly. Um, something like that. I think the safety that it came over, um, or no, no, I'm not sure why, but we don't have a six round pick. So, oh well. So in my first mock draft, uh, in the first round, I got us getting edge rusher, Clavon Chase on, who's the rush, uh, pass rusher out of LSU. Um, you know, they, they see him as a guy who is pretty good um, and can be a game changer in the pass rushing. And they've also seen that he can do pretty well against a run. Now, is that something that I would want him to do in the in his rookie season? No, I want him to focus on what can he do in limited snaps with the whole group sharing. I think if you want to put Chase on in a winning and successful position on the Falcons, then you don't expect him to come in and be a three-down guy from the very beginning. Maybe he can develop into a three-down guy, and I think that would be great. But to put him in that situation, I think would be um, would would not would not be smart for him. I mean, you rarely see uh, these pass rushers come in and just dominate like this. You saw the two Bosa brothers do it, yes, but like I mean, it's a dime a dozen. And, you know, it's not even, I wouldn't even expect uh, Chase Young out of Ohio State to be able to do that. I think he is going to need some development as well. So don't put your rookies in a bad position, which gets me to my first second round pick. 
I have center Lloyd Cushenberry, um, who is a center out of LSU. Um, they say he is a run blocker. I would like him to play left guard for the Falcons um, if they were able to draft him. Um, although they say that he needs to build up um, his uh, pass protection, um, I think that this is a guy that can be the center of the future. And when you think about a guy that's playing next to Jake Matthews and as well as um, Mac Brown, or whatever that center's name is, um, then you have a... You're putting a rookie in a good position on the line. And, you know, they want a pass rusher, then there he is. Um, so that brings me to my second sec round pick. I got wide receiver Jalen Rogers out of TCU. And I think this is a guy that just can stretch the field. Now, I know a lot of y'all out there is not going to like this um, because, you know, why do we need a wide receiver, especially so early? But, I mean, I think you saw how even with the players that we had that, you know, our our passing was not as good as it should have been. And I think that's because you needed other people that can stretch the field. Now, that gets me to my third round pick. I got... The Falcons choosing running back Cloud Edwards Elair out of LSU. I think he's a good all-around back, has pretty good quickness. And I think if you do put him in um, a running back by committee uh, with the running backs that the Falcons already have, I think that he can be in a, a successful position. Once again, not expecting this guy to just come in and dominate. Um, but a guy that can actually just come in and contribute and actually help the Falcons play as a team. That brings me to my fourth round pick. I got them selecting tight end Thaddeus Moss out of LSU. Now, this is just honestly a, a selfish pick. I mean, the things that you saw him do as a patch catcher um, make, I think, make up and justify getting him in the fourth round if you can get him, even if he can't do the run block. And I think that um, the Falcons have a run blocking tight end in Luke Stalker. Um, have this, have, if you draw draft Moss, then, you know, that teaching him how to run block, and how to, that's something that coaches are just going to have to do. Um, you know, but goodness gracious, when you saw all the good plays that he did, for LSU, especially late in the season, how could you pass up that guy in the fourth round? That brings me to my fifth round pick. I got them picking linebacker Sage Lewis out of Florida International University. He's a very speedy linebacker that can um, can be tough in coverage. And, and I think that he, he's a guy that could possibly excel there. Um, you know, maybe not a three-down running a linebacker, but you know, right now the Falcons cannot be um, beggars or cannot be choosers on this. You know, they got to pick uh, the people that can be successful in these positions. And I think that if they actually go in thinking that using a linebacking committee other than Deion Jones, I think that will put you in a more successful position. Of course, there's going to be teams that are going to exploit that. Um, at certain times, but you got to do your best in those situations. And this brings me to my last one. I got them choosing with their last pick in the seventh round, edge rusher Trayvon Hill out of Miami. Um, I think this is just a guy that can come in on third downs in obvious pass rushing situations and see what he can do. Um, I think this is a guy that needs to be picked up or um, that needs to be coached up, but that's fine, you know. The, the point is, that you want to put these people in the way, the best way to succeed. And, you know, maybe this guy can do that. I wouldn't expect too much out of him. But that wraps up my first mock, um, mock draft. And let's get into my second mock draft, which is I feel like is my, um, the better one, my favorite one thus far. I'm going to start you off the same way with edge rusher Clavon Chason. Once again, he's a guy that can rush the passer and can play against the run a little bit. And if you 
use his snaps wisely. I think he can be really successful um, in his rookie season. In the second round, the first pick of the, uh, the first, um, their Atlanta Falcons first pick in the second round, I got them getting running back DeAndre Swift out of UGA. I think he is the best all-around running back. Um, he doesn't have the top elite speed, but I think he's a guy that can catch the ball. He can run the ball. Um, he can run downhill. Um, and I think that he's a guy that you can plug in um, at the top of your depth chart of running backs. And, you know, he's a guy that can possibly go for rookie of the year um, or at least um, offensive rookie of the year. You know, he is definitely a ball player. Um, in the second pick of the second round, I got them picking linebacker Zach Braun out of Wisconsin. This guy is a quick linebacker. Um, you know, he's played outside linebacker. He's rushed the passer as an edge. He's a little bit um, smaller than typical edge rushers. But he seems like a guy that can cover. He can rush the passer. And I think what he can be is a better Campbell, um, a guy that can drop in coverage when you need him, a guy that can rush the passer if you need him, a guy that's willing to go in and make tackles, a guy that can move side to side the sideline because of his speed. And I think that would work wonderfully with, with Deion Jones. I think that those kinds of picks where you get those speedy people, they can be successful at this level. And we have seen that over and over again. Um, and kind of what that mold is looking like, a guy that can cover those running backs, a guy that can stay with those tight ends um, and maybe can develop a little bit of the ball skills to be able to be um, to be able to be competitive um, while the ball is in the air. And in the third round, I got them getting center Caesar Ruiz out of Michigan. He's a good run blocker, just like um, Lloyd Cushenberry that I said in my last mock. And I think that he can learn to pass block. You know, once again, he's a guy that can become the center of the future. And if you put him in a good position, um, then that's something that you can do. Next, I got them getting tight end Howard Okuwebuyum out of Missouri. Sorry if I said that name wrong. Um, he's a guy that's not going to be your best pass blocker, but he's a guy that can go up and catch the ball. Um, I think that um, when you think about a guy who runs a 4-4 something as a tight end um, with good hands, that's a guy that if you can get him in the fourth round, that's a guy that you want to try to look at, you know? That's not a guy that you want passing. In the fifth round, I got them getting linebacker Logan Wilson. He is a guy, a smart um, football player, high IQ, four-year starter. Um, I'm giving you all the white cliches that they usually do. Yeah, he's a captain kind of guy. But he is a guy that may need some coaching. Um, but they do say that with um, you know the experience that he has and – his skills, because of his IQ, can put him in a good position. And I think that um, when you look at what they had in Foyer Lucan, I think this guy, um, Logan Wilson, can be someone who can give him some competition in that linebacker spot. And lastly, I got them selecting safety Reggie Floyd out of Virginia Tech. What this guy reminds me of is a Kamal Ishmael type. He's not a guy that you want covering the back end as a safety. He doesn't have that kind of speed. But he is a good special teams player. He is a big hitter. He's a guy that you can kind of depend on to stop the run. And um, if he's able to do that, I think that would be a good spot. I mean, look at Kamal Ishmael. If the Falcons do not bring him back, I'm upset, as I, I hope most other Falcons fans would be. He's a guy that was selected in the seventh round as well who made a niche as being a guy who can make plays as, as a safety in those mid-ranges and can tackle really well. Now he's a linebacker for the Falcons, really good on special teams. And I think that um, with that combination of free agency and draft with that second um, mock draft, 
I think that the Falcons will be in definitely a better position to be successful and make the playoffs. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. So as you know, spring training is still going on. And the third base battle is still going on. But, you know, the third base battle for the Braves is heating up. It's getting really, really interesting. Um, Today, Austin Riley hit his second home run of of spring training. He's starting to heat up a little bit. Camargo on Wednesday hit, hit a home run as well. Or it was earlier in the week. Um, but Camargo hit a home run as well. Um, and I mean, I don't know if they listened to the podcast and was like, oh, they think that we aren't trying. And they, they started to hit um, really well. But something's going on. And this battle is getting really, really interesting. I was talking to Ennis um, through text not too long ago. And we were talking about how how Brian Snicker said that both Riley and Camargo will not be making the, the uh, opening day roster, meaning one's going to be sent down. And he was like, I wonder if Snickers said that knowing that he was going to keep them both, but just to see what would happen. And since Snickers said that, I mean, they've both been hitting well. Um, let me give you some of the numbers um, right now. Austin Riley is hitting 333. With two home runs, two three Ks, two home runs, three Ks, and no walks. While Camargo is hitting 389 with one home run, four Ks, and one walk. I mean, and yeah, it's spring training. You can't, you don't know how much that will translate to spring training. But when you're thinking about guys that are in a, a roster in a position battle, and you're thinking about um, some people who have been working on their swing all off season. And, you know, probably been looking at live pitching and been working really hard. You know, this is some pretty good signs. I mean, you know, bit by bit and piece by piece in these small sample sizes, you can't really tell too much, but it's getting really interesting. Um, But then, Ennis' boy Peter O'Brien, he has three home runs leading the, the, the team in home runs right now. Um, and although he's hitting like 239 or 289, I can't remember which one. I wonder if this guy can't make the team. Um, you know, he's a guy that is a non-roster invitee, so he's been working hard. And right now, he's fighting for a job. And quite frankly, the Falcons, not the Falcons, the Braves have some room for these people. But then you also got someone like Rafael Ortega, who's, hitting the ball pretty well. Um, Even though last season he seemed to be more of a pull hitter, so when they started pitching him soft stuff outside that he wasn't too successful in those starting spots, but you aren't expecting him to be in the starting spot. You're you're looking at him to get um, maybe one start every, like, two weeks, especially with the depth that the Falcons, or not the, the Braves, goodness gracious, the Braves have. Um, in the outfield. So it's going to be interesting. And it's also good to see Adam Duvall hitting the ball pretty well. Um, no home runs thus far, but I think he has three or four doubles. He's hitting in the mid-300s right now. So when you're thinking about a guy that um, may be starting about um, 80 to 90 games in a season, I think it's definitely promising to see that all of them are are doing fairly well. You know, there is a lot of good signs that are coming out of the Braves camp this this um, spring training. So, of course, you know, it, it might be until opening day roster, every single podcast is going to be what's, gonna, what's currently happening in this third base battle because, quite frankly... It's, it's getting good, and I think we all thought it was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be this good. I think both of them are having really good at-bats um, when they're playing, and you know they're, they're working really hard at their craft to try to make the opening day roster and the start and to try to get that starting spot. 
Now let me let me tell you what I'm slipping on a little bit in terms of um, the Braves. And this could kind of be something that is in general with um, with all MLB teams, but it's just the the bullpen pitchers. You know, I was watch, I was watching um, the Red Sox and the Braves game today, and it, it's just upsetting that Braxton Davidson comes in in a seven four game um, with the Braves leading. And first walks a guy, then then hits a guy. And it's like, I remember seeing him put out this video where he's throwing like 100 miles per hour in nothing but some like sliding shorts or briefs. It was a very disturbing picture. I don't know why he was damn near nude and all his boys were hanging around while he was throwing a ball. You know, I don't think you need to be nude to to throw that hard but anyway it's just like what good is it to throw that damn hard if you can't throw strikes the point of being a bullpen pitcher is to be able to throw strikes and if you cannot throw strikes it does not matter how hard you throw and even if you're you can throw strikes about 50 percent of the time It's just not good. You'll be running up um, pitch counts, and then it's going to be easier for people to actually recognize your pitches. They're going to be gaining in on your fastball. So, you know, one thing that I want to see more when I'm watching these spring training games is that for these, these pitches to just throw strikes. I don't care how fast you throw, just throw strikes because that is the key to throwing in the big leads. If you can't throw strikes, you're going to get cut. And, you know, it was just really discouraging to see him struggle um, in his spring training appearance. You know, once again, it is spring training. But, you know, the the way that he was missing a day was extremely discouraging, especially when he's boasting how fast he can throw in his damn boxer briefs. All right, all right, it's the end of the show, which means I got to get into my final thoughts. And this week's final thoughts is more about uh, coronavirus. Um, And not just because coronavirus is something that's going to be inevitable all around the United States or, you know, the impact that it's having um, in terms of health and health care. Um, but specifically how coronavirus is affecting the sports world. And I think it's something that is extremely unique that is going on. Um, When I think about other um, situations like this, you do not see um, sports shutting down like this. I think the last time that you saw sports shutting down um, was really just for like a day. Um, back when 9-11 happened, and that's when baseball canceled all games for that day, and I think the day after. Um, but just, uh, you know, let me, let me tell you a little bit about some of the impact that it's had already. The Serie A, which is the Italian soccer league, um, the top soccer league in Italy, is they have already postponed games and they have some plans to have home games behind closed doors. The top league um, in Switzerland um, has already canceled or postponed all games till like March 26th. Japan um, said that the rest of their preseason baseball um, will be played in empty stadiums. And then you get something on the opposite end, which is the 2020 Olympics, uh, which is in Tokyo. Um, They said that they're going to continue. But, you know, honestly, it just seems like they're planning on continuing and hoping that coronavirus kind of just gets contained. Um, But the thing is, you know, with MLS just starting and the MLB... Um, with 
less than a month away from opening day, I'm really curious to see how those leagues will take it. Are they going to get in a situation where they're going to not um, have teams or they're going to have teams play in empty stadiums? Um, Atlanta United has already said that they will do their best to have precautions around coronavirus. But, I mean, the main thing about it is that when you get a whole bunch of people in one area and, you know, these people ain't washing their hands, and people are sneezing on everybody and everybody's touching everybody and throwing beer all over the place and all that other stuff. Like, what actual precautions do you actually have for that? Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the MLB does this. Um, these precautions um, that some of these uh, teams are doing, like they're not, they're saying that you can't touch the balls or the pins from fans to when you're giving autographs um you know it's just interesting how um some of these precautions are going to be and the thing is coronavirus is yes it's spreading all around the world but the thing is the people who are more at risk are um the elderly because they're more vulnerable and can be affected more um by a sickness like coronavirus um Typically, the people who have gotten coronavirus and are young and can actually get health care, which is another big part, they have been good. But, you know, the main thing that I can tell you and what my actual final thought is, is wash your damn hands. If you wash your damn hands, about 60% of all the diseases and the transmission of diseases can be reduced. 60% of them. All right? So just wash your damn hands. Thank you. All right. And that has been the slip. Uh, the Atlanta podcast for the true AT alien. I am the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. You can reach out to the show with your listener questions, comments, and thoughts by emailing theslipatl at gmail.com. Um, please subscribe, rate, and review. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate again, review again, and rate again on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Um, all the support um, is, is much appreciated. Also follow me on Spotify. Um, it's been a fun episode. Until next week, take care, y'all.